Well, if you do have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 11, please. We'll be in Luke chapter 11, looking at verses 37 through 44. Father, as we open your word, we open our lives and our hearts to you, and we ask that you would minister to us through your word. Oh, that it may speak to us, that it would rebuke and correct us and teach and admonish us and, and point us and show us in the way everlasting and reveal to us our own hearts and reveal to us Jesus. For we ask this in his name. Amen. So Luke 11, beginning at verse 37, reads this way. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at, at, table, at the table, and the Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees! For you tithe mint and rue and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the seat, the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. Wowzers. Now that's a great way to ruin a dinner party. Here you have Jesus being invited by a Pharisee into his own home. And he invites a bunch of other Pharisees and lawyers to this dinner. And then, as everybody's passing the wine and goat cheese, Jesus says, You Pharisees sure like to wash the outside of the cup, but inwardly you're full of greed and wickedness. Pass the cheese. (laughs) By the way, thanks for the invite. Now, this isn't the nicest thing Jesus could have said, nor is it the most tactful. But it was certainly needed, especially once we understand what's going on here. But you know one thing we're not going to learn this morning? When we look at this passage, one thing we're not going to learn is how to speak to Pharisees as if that's the lesson we need to get out of this passage. We're going to look at something far more important. We're going to examine the heart of a Pharisee against our own hearts. And if God is gracious, we will see how easy it is for us to become like a Pharisee. Because in each one of us, There is a temptation to drift toward the actions and attitudes of a Pharisee. These aren't those people out there. Isn't it easy to say that? To hear about the Pharisees. Oh, here we go. Those Pharisees. Man, those Pharisees, there's... These guys are something else. You read the Gospels and and how many of you love the Pharisees? You're like, oh, I just like the Pharisees. 
Yeah. Nobody likes the Pharisees. They're the, they're the total antagonists in this story, and they're the ones that get painted a really rough picture. And so when we look at them, we're like, oh, yeah, nobody identifies with the Pharisees. Like when you read a story, you identify with the protagonist, the hero, right? You're not there identifying with the antagonist, the, the one that you can't stand. But you've got to understand in that culture... They were the protagonist. They were the hero. They were the ones that everyone esteemed and looked up to. It wasn't how we think of it today because of the Gospels. They, they literally thought these people were it. They were intelligent. They were godly. They, they had all the money. They had all the status. They had it all. They were the, the, the stars, the, the famous people in their society. The ones that were highly esteemed. But not so much today. So in their day, the ones they're looking up to are getting attacked bad. In our day, the ones we look down to and the ones we're like, yeah, bravo, Jesus. Let them have it. Come on, give them another one. This is great. But one of the things we're going to notice here is that these particular Pharisees and the Pharisaical attitude is this. They're self-righteous and they're overly concerned about outward appearances verse 38 says the pharisee was astonished to see jesus did not wash first wash his hands before dinner the new king james says that the pharisee marveled which means that he didn't just notice but rather he was aghast with shock in other words he almost fell out of his chair. He was amazed. I, and I don't know, you probably could see his mouth drop. Every one of them, like, Did you, do you see what he's doing? Do you, do you see what just happened? He didn't wash his hands and he's eating dinner. Like, that's unbelievable. Now, we have to admit, this tradition is not a bad idea. In fact, I think we, we probably would like it. I think everyone appreciates it when someone washes their hands before dinner. It's a good idea. And I don't know about you, but I don't know, if I don't know where someone's hands have been and they're looking questionable, I don't want them passing the beans. It's, it's actually a great tradition. You know, you wash your hands. I, I appreciate that. I think everybody around us appreciates that, washing your hands. Like, I get the, the fact that this is, this is actually a, a good tradition. And I'm sure Jesus does as well. I'm sure Jesus appreciates clean hands. I'm sure Jesus, you know, is not against washing hands. But I tell you what, in this particular situation and for the, his purposes, he's like, I'm not going to wash my hands. <laughs> he knows what's going on. Could, I mean, really? Could you, could you be, especially think of their culture. When you pass, you, 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 you grab bread and you tear it and then you pass it to the next guy and you... Oh, great. The guy just rubbed his nose and, you know, he's passing the bread. That's the kind of sense. These people are like, oh, they're grossed out by it. And they're also not just that. This was like, this, this had to do, this got attached to holiness, to like whether someone was clean or, and, and able to like be considered themselves as a righteous person. It became that elevated in their society. And Jesus knew, knew that this became such a massive idol that he's like, I'm not washing my hands. I'm just going to eat dinner. And he gets to, he knows this is a chance to get to what's really at the heart and what's really going on here. 
And he didn't just not wash his hands. He knows what's going on in their hearts, and he says something, and nothing was said to him. He just says, notice it says, and he was astonished. They saw, so astonishment went on the guy's face, like, you know, what is astonishment? If I say, okay, you show me astonishment, it's got to be something like, right? (laughs) It's got to be something along those lines. And so then Jesus says this in 39 and 40. Now you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish. But inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? In Matthew 23, verses 25, Jesus put it this way. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees. First clean, clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. You know, the reason why these Pharisees are concerned about the outside the outside of the dish, the outside of the hands, the outside of the cup, is because everyone sees the outside. Nobody sees the inside except ourselves and God. The inside's not for everybody to observe. I can't see your thoughts right now, thank the Lord. I, I, I don't know what's going on in there. It's hidden from us. And because of this reality, it allows a certain kind of hiding among people we can live in a way that we want others to perceive us in a certain way it might not necessarily be who we who we are we just want to create an image it's like branding yourself right you want to create an image what image do you want to create well if you want to create the image and you want to be perceived as somebody who's sharp and confident and a wealthy christian well all you have to do is put on all the symbols that communicate this to everybody. And people will do this. Dress sharp. Be confident. Look people in the eyes and give a big smile. There's lots of techniques you can learn. There's ways to put it on the outside. You can have buy certain symbols, drive a certain car, wear a certain watch, a certain rings, certain jewelry. You can have your clothes bought at a certain place and make sure they notice the tag. You can have, and and they communicate things, and those who know can see them. It's easy. If you want to portray a certain image and have yourself perceived a certain way, we know that we can put it on the outside. Likewise, if you you want to have yourself perceived as some chill, relaxed, easygoing, nothing bothers me kind of Christian, you can do that as well. All you do is just put on all the elements that communicate that to everybody, because that's how you want to be seen by others. We do this all the time. The outside is, is something we're highly concerned about because we know you're going to be, you and I, we know that people are going to judge us by what is on the outside. Oh, no, people don't judge. Yes, they do. All the time. We know that. And why do we know that? Because we ourselves do it. And so what we do is we become highly concerned about the outside. Washing the outside, cleaning the outside, taking care of the outside, giving an image on the outside, and we neglect the inside. The outside becomes very important. Let's look at this from another angle. Let's say you have a tradition, a certain tradition, like the Pharisees, they had their tradition, and and we have the actually same tradition in our culture, washing your hands. 
But let's say we have something else, a tradition that we actually attach a whole lot of significance to, a whole lot of religious meaning to, perhaps. Let's just say you are the kind of person in your tradition who holds the door for your wife every single time because you think this is a very important thing to do. Good tradition, right? Why not? Show honor. You can a little loving somebody in the tangibles. But you can get so go so far in something like this that you feel in your heart it's such an important deal to you that when somebody doesn't do it, you're like, what a self-indulgent beast. Wouldn't even hold the door for his wife. I can't believe it. Can you believe people nowadays? Just never thinking about others. Yet you know what? It could be that that's what we're like. And then how about, now you're in private. Nobody can see your tradition. Nobody can see you at all. Yet your tone towards your wife is a tone of unkindness. You berate her and belittle her constantly. And in so doing, you're in direct violation of God's word. Oh, so good for you. Give yourself a clap. You open the door for her. Everybody sees, and you can almost feel your sense of religious pride. Go home, nobody sees, and the way you talk to her is completely ungodly. In addition to this, you do things in private, knowing nobody else is going to see, and you know what you're doing, and you know what you're doing is wrong. Nobody sees what you're doing, except God sees what you're doing. And because nobody sees what you're doing, it doesn't bother you that much. It's the stuff that people see that really bothers you. It's easy for us to get really concerned about the outside while neglecting the inside. It's easy for us to justify and excuse everything we think and do, and we just find ways of redefining it. Well, it's really not that bad. I mean, everybody else does it. I'm sure of it. But those dirty snakes who don't hold the door open for their wives. Or it can be a a myriad of Christian traditions that we have, the ones that are very visible, the ones that are very physical, the ones that people can see, we often attach way more meaning to them and they become way more important than the ones they can't see. So it becomes so important to us that when we pray, you've got to bow your head and close your eyes. Because I tell you what, that is serious business because we're praying to God. Yet, when you even instruct your children to do that, You're harsh, mean, and cruel. God says, I could care less that they bow their head and close their eyes if you're going to talk to them that way. Don't don't get off in your all being religious and it all being this is how you need to do things and this being your tradition and this is how we do it in this home and then you treat them that way. But isn't that easy for us to do? To just polish the outside? Be concerned about the outside, yet neglecting the inside, the things that are really important. You know, we just have to really, if we want to know um, what's really going on in this area, is I'll ask a self-diagnostic question. A question like this. Do I gloat 
in how faithful I am in any of my outward actions compared to others. The things that I do compared to others. The things especially in public. And do I try to impress others with my appearance while in secret I'm truly the one that can be a beast at times? I think if we're honest, every single one of us will say, yeah, I'm far more concerned about those things, those Christian activities, those traditions, the things that we do, the ones that others see far more than when nobody sees. Those, those activities, that I, the things that I should be doing and shouldn't be doing in private, yeah, I do those ones, and yeah, you're right, you got me there. I, 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 I do struggle with those a little bit. But then you find yourself in public being like, you know, on the Christian scale of really got, having it all together. You're like a niner on the public scale. But in the private, you're down there at four, three. What you're creating is a duplicitous world. And you're, you're giving an image, and you're putting on an image that you're someone that you're really not. This is when you get too concerned about appearances and, the, and, and pleasing others. And this is the attitude in the heart of a Pharisee, and every single one of us has this temptation. You're tempted. All of us are tempted to want others to perceive us a certain way, and usually it's a lot higher than we really are. And so it's there. It's a real deal. But Jesus moves on in the text and he shows something else about these Pharisees and about the heart of a Pharisee. And it's that the self-righteous are zealous about culturally visible and acceptable laws. It's very similar to the second one, but you'll see as this, uh, how it delineates itself. In verse 42, Jesus says, But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, and then neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You know, the thing about tithing during this time was that it was very public. They would bring their tithe to the temple. And it was, the tithe was, a lot of it had to do with very tangible things. So, when you had ten goats, you had to take one goat, which is a tenth, and you took the goat to the temple. Now, there's big things like you, the harvest comes in and you have the harvest and of all your increase, you take of the harvest. And so you bring to the temple a whole truckload of grain, which is a tenth of what you, was your increase. Well, the Pharisees, we're not just going to be bring a tenth of goats and grain. We're going to bring, we'll bring a tenth of everything. So they bring in mint. It says mint and rue and other herbs. Well, you know mint. Mint is like a weed. If you ever go on mint around here, it's, it springs up pretty quick, and it's, it's pretty insignificant. Now, if you're going to tithe your mint, <laughs> you're pretty... Pretty serious dude. You're pretty zealous. It's like tithing a tenth of your grass in the front yard. It's like you're out there snipping. Woo, that guy's zealous. He's real zealous. He's down. He's tithing. If anything increases in your yard, oh, extra leaf on the tree, you know, better cut a tenth out of it. That person's really zealous. And so it, this is what they're doing. Rue, I didn't know what rue was. I'm like, rue, what's rue? Anybody know what rue is? I'm like, man, I've never heard of that before. So I had to look up rue, find out what rue was. And rue is very similar to mint it's an herb it's a little plant that grows like a weed and then they would dry it crush it and use it for as a spice or seasoning and so it's really the point is 
it grows like a weed. It, it's incredibly insignificant, but boy, they were serious about tithing it. And they'll bring it into the temple. We, hey, we even tithe the rue, you know. And so they're, they're all gloating in the fact that, yeah, you guys, you, you, you guys tithe the big things. We tithe everything. If it increases, we tithe it. And this is what he's saying. He says, you guys, you're so zealous. Oh, boy, you tithe even mint and rue and herb, these things. But he says, you neglect the weightier matters, the, ones that, the, the, the matters that really are at the heart of the law. You know what the heart of the law is? And these people never really seem to get their heads around this. It's the love for God and love for others. You neglect love. You neglect justice. You neglect the poor. You don't really care. All that you care is that people see and know that you are some unbelievable, zealous tither, which is fulfilling a law of God. You know, what Jesus is saying here is something that hits at the heart of all of us because in us, because we're fallen, because we're in Adam, there's a desire for us to be thought of highly by others. And so what we want, we want, we can see if there's certain things, there are certain traditions, there are certain laws, there are certain requirements that God has that are public and they allow for us to get recognition through them. And it can be something like church attendance. Church attendance. We know that everybody notices church attendance, so let's be, let's be faithful with church attendance. Everybody notices if you pray before your meals, so let's be, make sure we bow and pray before meals. Because that's, everybody sees that. And it, it's these, these are traditions that we have. Perhaps we have traditions in our homes that are religious traditions, and they're good traditions. I'm not saying they're bad, but the thing is, but a lot of times what we do is we get caught up in the things that people are seeing and their religious traditions, their laws, even like obeying the law. We can do the same thing with the tithe because a tithe is a visual thing. God, if God requires a tithe, what do we do? We, we, you know, we like to sometimes see if people are looking or we want to talk about it around, hey, how much do you give? You know, always having that, you know, Measuring ourselves by others. We, ha- we have a way of being very scrupulous about things that we know others can see that make us look very religious while neglecting weightier matters. When it comes to things like love and justice, we don't take care of them. You know... It might be that in our hearts, if you look at your lives, just look at your life. And you weigh what I do. I do religious activities. I go to church. We pray before meals. We, we give thanks for things. We do some certain, certain activities that, yes, are good and right and true. But we, we, we don't reach out to the lost because we don't really give a rip about them anyway around us. We don't reach out to, say, to hurting people. Well, they'll get over it. We can isolate ourselves and rarely even have people in our homes because we're just too busy doing our own thing. We can feel indifferent toward injustices happening around us. People, things can be happening in the world. Things can be happening in our community. We can, we can know and realize that there's, there's true and there's real injustices in the world, and it doesn't bother us one bit. Things like this. You could see the matters of love and matters of justice, matters of even love for our neighbors. 
every one of us, couldn't it, isn't it true that if we looked around and looked at our neighbors, if we're honest, we don't really care too much that, about them? And then if we're honest, what we get caught up is, is what? Trying to find our own comfort, our own pleasure, our own ease. Ways to make our lives better, easier, more comfortable. And, and we get caught up in our own little worlds, our own little lives, doing our own little thing in our own little way. And we become so concerned about us that we neglect the weightier matters. The weightier matters of love and justice and, and, and ministering grace and peace and, and really being outward focused. And we come to realize, yeah, man, I'm so inward focused. I'm focused on me. I'm focused on us. I'm just focused on what, what's in front of me all the time. That, when that happens... And we, we find, this is what starts, this is how you know the hypocrisy is growing. If it's growing in your heart, it's growing in your life, you become more and more concerned about all the, the, the image of being perceived as somebody who's a faithful Christian. While when it comes to loving and reaching out and ministering to others, it's shrinking. That's happening What's really going on is that we're becoming a Pharisee. And it can happen to any one of us. You know that Jesus moves on in here in this particular passage and he, as he addresses these Pharisees, he shows us another thing. There's another clear, full-on attitude of a Pharisee. And it's that the self-righteous love places of honor. If you look at verse 43, Jesus says, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces. You know, these Pharisees were sitting there and feeling like a surgeon had just taken a scalp to their souls. And when Jesus says what he says here, they know that it's true. They know that what he's saying is so true. Because Jesus knows that the Pharisees, how they felt, even in their hearts. He knows He knows the heart. He knows how they felt when they went to their seats of honor. And how, when they were greeted in the marketplace, what that did for them. He knows they felt so important as they took those seats and received the honor. He knows they gloated as the common people would address them as rabbi, father, instructor. They love those greetings in the marketplace. They felt like they were on top of the world. Oh, man. And that's the thing. In that culture, in that day, you know, we don't think, you know, it wouldn't be a big deal to be called rabbi or instructor, teacher. But they love to be called rabbi because when they would call him rabbi, you can guarantee that they would, even their body would communicate honor and respect. Rabbi, rabbi, by bowing to them in some way. Just imagine you there with your kids and your family, and if, if your children didn't show deference to them and bow to them and call them rabbi, they'd get a smack across the head. You respect them right now. And everybody was taught. Everybody was, it was communicated. These people were to be esteemed, and, and you show, give them words of honor and respect. Oh, yes. You know, that they love to have images, like on their bodies, that would communicate to you, I have very high, high degrees. I have incredibly high status. 
And these people are absolutely revered in their society. And these people have very high self-worth. They are feeling good about them. They have their ego stroked on a continual basis. And so they, they are given honor all over the place. And as children of Adam, we are gluttonous too. We are gluttonous for this kind of respect and honor. When people defer to us, when people revere us, when people respect us, it strokes our ego as well. It's, it, it gives us a real a sense of self-worth. And when we begin to love that honor and begin to love the titles, the vestments, body postures, seating arrangements, and the like, all that stuff used to show respect, it, if it takes root in our heart, we begin to love it and delight in it and want it more and more. Yeah, let me, let's be careful here. In saying this, it can come across and it can seem like, you know, giving, let, you know, overreact and the other say, honor, we shouldn't be giving honor, we shouldn't be giving titles, we shouldn't be doing anything, we should be doing everything we can to eliminate that. And I say, no, that's not true at all. That's not, the, that's not the point to be learned. God wants us actually to show honor and deference and respect. Throughout the, God, throughout the scriptures, God God wants children. He says, children, honor your mother and father. Submit yourselves to your authorities. Honor the authorities. He goes throughout scripture, honor and respect and reverence due to those who are in authority in any way are to be honored, are to be respected. But he wants it for this reason. Now, let's understand this. He wants it so the person in the lower position has a way of showing love and deference to those who are over them. He wants, this is a way of expressing love to those who are in authority. He doesn't want it for the person in authority, the person to be receiving it, so that they could have their egos stroked. That's flipping it on its head. And that's, an, that's a gift of God that becomes an idol. When it becomes an idol, it becomes a thing greater than it's supposed to be. The whole, the way, whole way it's supposed to work is flipped on its head. So now the one who's, who's supposed to be honoring in order to show love and deference, it's, it's now about the one receiving it. And that one receiving it wants and demands and delights in and exalts in the respect and honor. That's making an idol and flipping it on its head. It's not why God gave it. God did not give it so that those people in titles and those people with titles and those people with authority could somehow go around and say, please give it to me. This is great. It's amazing. But this is, we do this with everything. We flip them on their heads. They become idols to us because the, what their intention was, it's an intention, intentionally a way for us to love God and love others through them. We flip them on their heads and they become idols to us. We do it with all kinds of things. The gifts of God and how they're intended, they get perverted all the time. Just think of things like food, clothing, possessions, symbols, sex, cars, positions, Positions at work, or whatever. All the gifts that God gives us, we have a way of creating idols out of them. We flip them on their heads, and the very thing they're intended for, we use them for selfish purposes. You know, the Pharisees aren't the only ones who struggle with this stuff. All humanity struggles with this stuff. 
It is in the denying of it and the refusal to confess it that makes us Pharisees. Did you just hear what I said? You realize what makes them Pharisees? Is that the denial of it and the refusal to confess it. That's not me. The Pharisees, we're holy, we're righteous, we would never, ever do such a thing. You know, the Pharisees' greatest sin was their arrogance and refusal to humble themselves in regard to their sin. Jesus, you know why he's speaking such tough words to them? So they would see it. So they would come to their senses and so that perhaps by hearing this truth and perhaps being busted by it, they would confess, yes, you're right, Lord, I've done this. Oh, please forgive me. And Jesus would say, I gladly forgive you. That's what I want from you the whole time. It's just for you to see that I'm a self-righteous, gluttonous, man-fearing jerk. That's music to his ears because that's, I, I love you. Yes, I, 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 this, is, this is where you need to be. Now, now you can be lifted up and now you can be healed and now you can be taken care of. Now, you, now I can bless you. But until you get there, until you, you stand, stand still and stand strong in your self-righteous pride, there's no hope. And that's the chief mark of these Pharisees, if you'll notice. And Jesus, even in our text, well, look at the response. If you look down at verse 45, one of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. When they hear these things, They're insulted. How dare you say this stuff? They're not repentant. They're not, oh man, you're right. That's exactly what I'm like. Jesus, please forgive me. No, that's not it at all. What marks them is self-righteous pride. And they can't hear it. You know, in any religious community, whenever you have zealous leaders who outwardly portray a holy life, but are unloving and unwilling to admit they are ever wrong, those are your Pharisees, my friends. Those are your Pharisees. The one who has not been broken over their sin and always builds iron walls around themselves to insulate themselves and protect themselves. And they never do anything that they need to confess. Well, at least not openly. Yet in their hearts, they are loving their idols. They are loving their places of honor. They are loving the esteem they are receiving. They are loving the fact that they are so obedient to the law of God. They love the fact that they, 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 they are so scrupulous. They do so many right and good things but you know what that's, a, that's such a scary place for all of us to be for any of us to drift towards this because it's scary to have the heart of a Pharisee and to begin to insulate yourself defend yourself stand up for yourself and, as, and really have a hard time confessing about what yourself is really like The heart of a Pharisee loves outward appearance, but it won't admit that being the case. 
And so do you realize that unless you, we, you and I, unless we get good at confession, we will get good at concealing and become like a Pharisee. There's no other option. Either we will expose ourselves and be healed, or we'll excuse ourselves and be hardened. The only remedy to prevent us from becoming a Pharisee is to practice humble confession. Practice admitting those Pharisaical tendencies. Not, not, not practice making excuses, but actually practice, yeah, you know, more of, you're right, actually, if you want to know what's really going on, if you want to know really how deep this is, yeah, there's truth here. There's truth. There's truth of the fact that, yeah, I often, I am very tempted, and it's no lie that I'm very tempted to want to put on the outside so that you won't see what's on the inside. I'm very tempted to want to present to you a certain kind of image so that you can think well of me when in fact, when in true reality, what I am in private and what I do in private, I'm absolutely ashamed of. I have a tendency to do that. You're right. In fact, you know, when it comes to like certain laws and certain Christian traditions and the things that you do, I have a very a propensity towards this. I want to, I, I, I kind of, I can drift towards that. I can see that happening. I can see that I love to do certain things because others see it, but I don't like to do other things because nobody else is going to see it. And, and it's, it's those disciplines in private are difficult. And if you're, if I was to be honest, you know, I struggle even to, even to pray like I ought to. We don't like to admit that. We, you know, we're all, everyone, you and me together, we're all only inches away from becoming like Pharisees. And all it does is get practicing covering up, practicing hiding, practicing displaying, practicing putting on on the outside what's not really true on the inside. But really what we ought to be practicing is practicing confession, practicing being honest, practicing being real. Because in practicing in, in every way we can, to stop trying to cover up, conceal, and hide. Stop trying to impress all the time. Stop trying to be someone so that you could be accepted. Stop trying to always hide your deficiencies. And start being more honest, more transparent. Because as we confess our sins as we are honest with who we are, as we expose the reality of what's going on in us, then we get healed. Then we get restored. Then we get lifted up. Then we get built up. Then we get true life and true holiness comes out of because it's the life of Christ in us coming out of us. Then it's transformative. But every single one of us needs to hear this. Because every single one of us has a tendency and a propensity, if we've, we're Christians, to drift in the direction of the pharisaical heart. So may God grant us grace to be bold confessors that we would not try to put on the outward and press others around us, but we would be real, we'd be genuine. We'd be people who are seeking to be honest with the inside and so that the inside can truly shine forth on the outside. And everybody can see the true life of Christ in us. May God grant us this grace. Amen. Father, we thank you so much.
that if there be any grace at all, that we see who we really are, and we, we don't try to hide it. Oh, Lord, I just pray that you would, for every single one of us here, help us to, to be honest and real with what, who we really are, what's really going on, what's really happening in our hearts, and stop trying to hide and conceal and pretend and put on airs and put on religion and put on our law-keeping and everything on the outside. Oh, Lord, please. Help us to be those people who are just sincere and honest before you, sincere and honest before one another, and we stop the games, stop pretending. Please, O oh Lord, may we not drift into that heart and tendency of a Pharisee, but rather be humble, broken servants of you, Lord who are raised up by you and healed by you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.